Hello and welcome to the week four edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Zamini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Let me start off by saying that I appreciate you stopping by again this week. I know this is not an easy time to be a Jets fan, the team being 0-3, but hopefully you can learn a little something here about what's going on with your team. Hopefully we can entertain you a little bit. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy the second quarter. Our special guest is former Ravens coach Brian Billick, a Super Bowl winner who has a new book out. Uh, It's about quarterbacking, specifically about the class of 2018, which, of course, pertains to Sam Darnold. And great perspective from Brian Billick, I think you'll, you'll find, on Joe Douglas, who he worked with in Baltimore for many years. But I want to start off with Darnold the aforementioned quarterback. Uh, that was the biggest takeaway out of Sunday's ugly, ugly loss in in Indianapolis. Three interceptions, two pick sixes. And the last time the Jets had a quarterback who threw two pick sixes in a game was Geno Smith as a rookie in 2013. Remember that game against Cincinnati? Uh, like I wrote in my story for ESPN.com, if you're a Jet quarterback, you never want to be mentioned in the same sentence as Geno Smith. So yes, this was a big step back for Sam Darnold. And here's a scary thought for Jet fans. And and maybe a scary thought for the front office as well. After 29 starts, including 16 under Adam Gase, we don't know if Sam Darnold is the long-term answer. And that's a bit frightening, considering the time, the money, the resources they've poured into him. I mean, you see the talent. The, the talent is there but he just makes critical errors at, at bad times. You know, let's let's break down the interceptions. I studied him on tape, talked to some people about him. First interception for a pick six by Xavier Rhodes, who, by the way, is a terrible cornerback, and the Jets made him look like a star. Uh, he just stared down his intended receiver, Lawrence Cager. I think based on the leverage of the wide receiver, Sam admitted after the game that he probably should have gone in a different direction. But he forced that throw into Cager, who was not expecting the pass, and it was taken back for a touchdown. Uh, I think you're going to detect a trend here. The second interception, again by Xavier Rhodes in the in the end zone. Again, he stared down the receiver. This is a habit that is recurring for Sam Darnold. It's year three. He should not be telegraphing his passes that way. In this case, it was a weird play because I think Rhodes actually – blew the coverage. I think he thought it was zone and it was actually man to man. And when he realized it, so he dropped off Cager in the end zone and then realized he should have been a man to man and then got back into the picture and Sam didn't see him and it was picked off in the end zone. And the killer here, it was first and goal from the seven, a first down play in the red zone just makes it that much worse. Uh, You know, Sam's just, you can't do that in the red zone. And uh, the third interception, you know, I, I don't know what he was doing there. Uh, Braxton Berrios was bracketed by two defenders, and he threw to a spot expecting Chris Hogan to be there, and he was not there in that spot, and it was an easy pick for the uh, for the Colts. Again, returned for a touchdown. And, you know, we could blame the supporting cast. And, look, the Jets started – a basically a, a, a second-string cast of wide receivers, arguably a third-string cast of wide receivers. So you can blame that. 
and the surrounding cast. I know some people want to do that, but these were throws that he should have made. Those three interceptions were quarterbacking 101. No matter who's around you, those throws should not be made. That ball should not be turned over. And the alarming thing is that, you know, in the red zone, that's where quarterbacks make their money. You know, that's what separates the mediocre from the good ones. And right now, Sam is three for seven, which is only 43% in the red zone with an interception. Last year, he tied the league lead with four interceptions in the red zone. So I they put a, a lot of emphasis on improving that. It hasn't happened. Some of it may be play calling. They're too pass happy in the red zone, like on that first and goal play. Like, why are you throwing there in the red zone? after you just had a successful run by Gore. So some of it's play calling, but let's not create too many alibis here. This was this game was on Sam Darnold and some some disturbing trends. You know, three of those inter- those three interceptions were all, all outside the numbers. He's had 17 interceptions in his career outside the numbers. The only quarterback with more in that span since 2019 is Jared Goff. He's got 18. I think one of the things that perplexes the team is that he seems to be a lot more accurate when throwing to his left. He struggles when he's going to his right. But, of course, that theory got blown up in this game because those first two interceptions were on throws to the left. So I think some people in the organization might be scratching their head a little bit. So basically it comes down to this. They got 13 games to figure out if this is the guy they want to move forward with. I still believe Adam Gase has a lot of confidence in Darnold. He has to. He has to say that because they're joined at the hip. If Darnold fails, Gase fails. So Adam, of course, is going to say that. I think the feeling in the organization is that he's got the talent, but he recognizes that there's a lot of stuff going on around him, and he's pressing. He's trying to make plays when they're not there. You want to blame it on pressure? Yeah, he's pressured a lot. But let's, let, let me throw this stat at you. You know, when he's not under duress, His completion percentage is 69.4. That ranks 22nd in the league. When he's not under duress, he's got one touchdown pass and three interceptions. That's a total QBR that ranks 31st out of 31 quarterbacks. So that's when he's not under duress or being hit. So that is a red flag right there. Look, the Jets are going to ride this out. They don't really have an option right now. Joe Flacco's not even in the picture. So, like I said, 13 games to figure out if Sam Darnold is the guy. It's my pleasure to welcome in the Super Bowl winning coach and current NFL Network analyst, Brian Billick. Brian has written a new book. It's called Q Factor, the elusive search for the next great NFL quarterback. It's available starting... Tomorrow, Tuesday, September 29th in most bookstores. And, you, of course, you can order it, pre-order it online. And uh, I think Jet fans are going to love this because this is a fascinating deep dive into the quarterback class of 2018, which, of course, Sam Darnold is part of. And uh, it's a great class. It's already produced one MVP in Lamar Jackson and an early MVP candidate in Josh Allen. And uh, so, Brian, I really appreciate you taking the time. Glad to do it. So before we get into Sam specifically, what, you know, if you could just share the inspiration for the book, the idea and how it came about. Well, my co-author, Jim Dale, who's written a number of books um, with Jim Palmer and and Cal Ripken and and, um, Elijah Cummings, very broad-based author, um, 
Ravens fan and was intrigued by the trials and tribulations we had with, with finding a quarterback and, and, and approached me a couple of years ago going into the 2018 draft. Remember, that draft was supposed to be one of the best since 1983. You know, we were going to have four or five guys taken. Um, and, and thought, well, why don't we use this? Let, let's look at the process. And that's really what the book is about. Certainly, we focus on the 2018 class as the conduit to how is it we, we mess this up so often? Why is it only a 50-50 proposition when you, with the way we've evolved in the draft and the evaluation process? Um, why is it only 50-50? How do we take a Mitchell Trubisky one and don't take Deshaun Watson and and Patrick Mahomes until 10 and 12 respectively how is it we take Josh Rosen to use our 2018 class at 10 and don't take Lamar Jackson until 32 so it's a kind of a deep dive into the process we we looked at okay what what, what were these athletes supposed to be going into the draft how were they evaluated how were they drafted and then how did they produce over the next two years uh, certainly the teams they went with, the coaching they got is a factor. All those things that go into making a first-round pick at the quarterback selection. So when you, you pick – I mean, this class is so fascinating because he's had already – these guys have had so many different levels of success and failure. So when you what, – what methodology did you use? Was this heavily analytics-based? How much of it was tape evaluation? I'm just curious how you – got into these five so deep. Well, that's exactly what we were looking at. We begin with what had been the traditional way of evaluating quarterbacks, both good and bad. The evolution of the draft, it's kind of interesting that the combine, which was the next big step in the drafting process when all of the evaluation processes came together and all the NFL consolidated their initial uh, uh, training sessions at, at the Indian, now the Indianapolis combine used to be in New Orleans and and that was also the time that ESPN began to televise the draft. Uh, and when they approached then Commissioner Pete Rosell about it, he said, well, yeah, you can do it, but I don't think anybody's going to watch. Well, as we've seen, it's grown into its own industry. So the scrutiny on the drafting process came into play right as the drafting process kind of matured into this collective mentality of the league and is built into with all the analytics that we have right now. And, and that was the thing that the book really talks about. What are the analytics that are used? Where are they flawed? How should they be expanded? And at the end of the day, certainly you can met all the measurables, height, weight, speed, arm strength, vision, all those types of things. But at the end of the day, what we found is the most critical evaluations, that of, of uh, emotional, mental stability, the ability to handle pressure. Uh, both on and off the field, is really the biggest differentiator between succeeding in the NFL and not. Every NFL busted quarterback had the physical skills. I don't care if it's Jamarcus Russell, Achilles Smith, Tim Couch. I mean, we can even look at the most recent, and, and it's hard to say whether they're truly bust, but Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. Uh, Josh Rosen who was the 10th player taken in the draft by Arizona, has now been waved out of the league and is, a, and is on a practice squad with Washington. He has the physical skills to be good in the NFL. So why does it not add up? And that's basically what we look at in the book and how we can hopefully improve. As Bill Polian said, you know, 50-50 is not good enough. Just let me bat 525. Let me just do a little bit better because that'll save my organization from, you know, draft picks wasted, uh, cap money spent and, and wasted busts at the quarterback position, particularly in the first round. So 
based on the data you collected on these five uh, prospects, how did you rank them in order going into the 18 draft? Well, and it's interesting because our five prospects were <clears throat> very diverse, which is an example of how diverse this process is with Baker Mayfield. Remember that the knock and, and when you draft quarterbacks, you find once we get out of the college season and all, Oh, these guys are great. And they're going to be this, they're going to be that. Then we begin the true analysis part of it, at least, from a public standpoint, teams have been doing that from day one. And, and you always, we always tear these guys apart and there's always a qualifier, right? Oh, they all have this, that, and the other with Baker Mayfield. It was the maturity issue. Does he have the maturity and the emotional stability? Cause he had all the physical tools with Sam Darnold. It was, well, he has all the tools and he comes from a high profile program um, but he just seems to kind of be in neutral all the time. Okay, but nothing really great. Josh Allen, huge upside, incredible athlete, but had gone to a JC one year at Wyoming and had a horrendous completion percentage, which was usually a death knell in the NFL because you, you tend not to get better at something like that when you get into the NFL. Josh Rosen has pure mechanics, and, and scout after scout after scout talked about just the pure mechanics of throwing the ball. We haven't seen the likes of this, you know, since, since uh, uh, well, since forever. But had been through a number of different offenses and coordinators, really kind of lacked that it quality, that leadership quality, which was concerned. And then Lamar Jackson, which was a unicorn. A lot of people thought he should be a wide receiver. Yeah, he can run around and make great plays, but will he ever be able to do it from the pocket? So each of these guys had kind of a cross to bear that indicated where they might be drafted. And what is there anything about them, these five, that have really surprised you over the first two-plus seasons with them in either a positive or a negative way? Yeah, as my, my mentor, the late Denny Green, used to always say, you know, they are who we thought they were, right? And, and in the book we talk about after – because, again, we tried – the observations and rankings we did of the quarterbacks were pre-draft. So we didn't go back and alter them. We, we, we put them in the book as we had made them, gathered them from a number of different pro personnel people, coaches, my observations, and we said, okay, this is what we think they are going in. And then they got drafted. And, and, and then now we tracked them. I and mean, it really does take two years before Bill Walsh always believed you, you're going to know by the 25th or 26th start. You know, early, but if it's not there by the 20th or 25th, 25th or 26th start, it doesn't exist. Um, and so we tried to keep true to that. And, and now under the, the guise of, yeah, they are who we thought they were, it's pretty much come true. Baker Mayfield, the emotional instability, the ups and downs. Yeah, I'm a gunslinger, but I'm one touchdown to one interception ratio. That doesn't cut it. So we'll see, you know, this is going to be an important year for him. Sam Darnold, again, has shown signs, but again, just kind of in neutral. And that was the perspective or uh, uh, perspective of Sam coming in. Um, I had one scout tell me, yeah, I went in. I liked the tape. Uh, you liked everything about the workout, but I just, I can't get on board with the kid because I just don't see, any, see anything special. And I think we've seen that so far. Not that it can't change. But so far, I think that's held true. Now, Josh Allen is the one that, that uh, has flipped the narrative. We all saw the athleticism, uh, great personality, uh, drive, uh, but the completion percentage. Well, last year we saw it, and it looked like, well, no, this is who he is. Now, it's only three games, but he's off the charts. I mean, this guy's 70% completion, no interceptions. He's on pace for, for uh, uh, 40-plus touchdowns. If he can maintain that, he is the, the lone 
prospect that has really flipped their narrative. Josh Rosen turned out to be exactly what we thought he was. Great physical talent, but just can't piece it together, uh, at least so far. And then Lamar Jackson, truly the unicorn. The fact that, and it wasn't so much we didn't know he couldn't do this, but you have to give Baltimore credit for sneaking into the first round, taking him, and then buying in, all in, about, hey, if he's going to run the ball 180 times, we don't care. We'll let him run the ball 180 times. So obviously Sam Darnold struggled on Sunday with three picks and two, two pick sixes. And Jet fans are, are very uh, frightened right now that maybe this isn't going to work out. And you, then you mentioned Josh Allen, who's, who's fantastic so far. The Jets could have picked him. They didn't. Should Jet fans be worried about their quarterback right now? Well, I don't know if they should be worried, but they can see it from here. I mean – Again, one of the hardest things, and, and even with these, one of the things we point out in the book is there's really obviously a number of factors, but there's obviously the physical characteristics of the player, okay? Then, as we also found, equally or more important is the emotional and mental makeup of the player. But the third element is where is he drafted and how is he coached? Does the system make the quarterback or the quarterback make the system? Now, you could argue with that on either side. We go back to the, you know, the Peyton Manning-Ryan Leaf scenario. And if Ryan Leaf had gone to Indianapolis and Peyton Manning gone to San Diego, would we have a different story right now? Well, I don't think anybody, including me, believes that. Uh, Ryan Leaf had a lot of problems coming in. Again, emotional, mental ability to process the game. But you look at uh, 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 the Eli Manning-Philip Rivers scenario. Had Eli stayed in San Diego and Philip Rivers stayed in New York and they hadn't swapped those with Philip Rivers, who is likely a Hall of Fame quarterback, uh, in my opinion, um, would he be have that stability of Tom Coughlin for 11 years? Would he have two Super Bowl MVPs? And would Eli Manning, although generating good numbers, be with organizations that just quite can't put it together? So with Sam Darnold, the hardest thing to do is, is to separate the play of a quarterback from what's going on around him. The lack of talent around Sam Darnold. They brought in Adam Gase to be the quarterback whisperer and make that transition. It's not happened so far. So, yeah, uh, is that Sam Darnold or is it what's around him? That's the only thing that remains to be seen. You make – I love the uh, Bill Walsh uh... – you know, old axiom about, you know, about a quarterback after 25 or 26 starts. Sam has started 29 games now. Right. He's, he's 11 and 18 as a starter. I mean, he's, his TD ratio is about one to one touchdown interception ratio, slightly more on the touchdowns. So uh, do, do you think he's being coached properly? I mean, we know the supporting oh. cast is not great right now. Right. You, and that's, you, and that goes hand in hand. And, and that's the tough one. Uh, if you, you do look at parallels, because as we looked at and as I've analyzed and look at, okay, well, how, how accountable is the system? Well, we just isolated with Ryan Leaf. I don't think it would have made a difference. doesn't matter who coached him or what system he's in, but you look at uh, a, a case study of Ryan Tannehill and in Miami under Adam Gase really doesn't develop. Okay, and there's a lot of different reasons. Again, they didn't have a lot of talent. Uh, coming out, Ryan Tannehill, some people thought he was drafted too high. Basically only had the one year at Texas A&M. Right. Um, so, and, and basically gets run out of Miami, and you figure, okay, that's another first-round bust. Well, then he goes to Tennessee, and he flourishes. He thrives. Well, this is the same quarterback. So, yeah, in the system they decided to adapt and the run-oriented, he's been brilliant in Tennessee. So, in that instance, you – back and say, okay, clearly that was 
the system and the coaching that he got that made the difference. Is that the same case with Sam Darnold, uh, with that same Adam Gase system? I don't know. We're, we're, we're closing in on our decision pretty quick here. Yeah. And certainly the lack of talent around him is a factor, uh, but certainly that's something that is, it, you have to consider. Yeah, you bring up a great point. Jet fans are already thinking, oh, you know, we might end up with a really high draft pick, you know, maybe the first pick. Do we pick a Trevor Lawrence and start over again, or do we try to see if Sam is the, the right guy? I think in a few months from now, it's going to, your old buddy Joe Douglas that you knew so well in Baltimore is going to have a pretty tough decision on his hands. Uh, but not really, because they know job one, because obviously it doesn't look like the Jets are going anywhere. Um, is to make that evaluation. Joe, I promise you, who's very methodical as a grinder, did a great job for us and was had great tutelage under uh, Ozzie Newsom and Phil Savage and Eric DaCosta. And Joe knows his business. And Joe knows job one for him is we have to, in spite of it all, make the decision of Sam Darnold the guy or not. And you're going to have a lot of games to look at. And then make that decision or – do we then, like Arizona, who made the decision very quickly, they trade up in the 2018 draft to get uh, uh, Josh Rosen. Uh, this was going to be the savior. This is the guy. I mean, when you make a, a top 10 pick, you as an organization are saying, we believe this is a franchise guy. Uh, and and, and tr- whether it's true to the word, this was our number one rated quarterback. Fair enough. What do they do? They get rid of him the next year. And, and because they go after after Tyler Murray, who looks like he might end up being pretty good. And they went out and got a new system, Cliff Kingsbury. So they did it in a very quick fashion, abandoning uh, the organization. Uh, And again, they're the ones that made the choice. Now, they're the ones that made that 10th pick, that traded up to get him. So they kind of, you know, give him credit for, at least in this instance, saying, nope, didn't work, wasn't right. We see this other talent. We're going to make the move. That's the question that Joe Douglas is going to have to answer over the next few months. And my last question, Brian, and you would be perfect for this because you've been around some really good quarterbacks and, 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 and some not-so-good quarterbacks. And I'm wondering, with a guy like Sam, can a quarterback, whether it's his fault or not, when he goes through so much adversity like the Jets are going through now, did that permanently scar him in the future? That's a good question. A lot of people thought David Carr. Remember when he went number one overall to the Houston Texans, and I think he got sacked, what was it? 60-something uh, times, I think. Well, I think it was 100-plus times in his rookie year. I oh, mean, it was yeah. the guy just got beat up, literally yeah. and figuratively, uh, and never really caught on in Houston. Uh, and again, Dave Carr is one of those guys that he should have been good. He had all the physical skills. He also had, I think, the emotional makeup seemed very steady. Uh, he, it, the game didn't overwhelm him, but it never came together. Now, was that just because he was at the wrong team at the wrong time and now it created a cycle he couldn't work out of it? Um, is it was it never really there? Um, I, I, that's a hard one to answer. And, and with Sam, again, I don't think we're going to know. Certainly under these circumstances, you're going to learn about him. Um, but at the end of the day, the Joe Douglas is going to have to make, and I will say this, Joe thought a lot of Sam coming in. We talked about it in the book. He was in Philadelphia at the time. Um, but he gave me his evaluation of Sam again, like you do, even though you're not in the market for a quarterback, you do the work. 
for this very reason, that at some point later on, you may have access to that quarterback. You may want to trade for that quarterback. He may be available in free agency. So you want that initial basis. So you do a top-to-bottom evaluation of a player. Every team does, particularly at the quarterback position, <laughs> even though you weren't going to be in the market and you weren't going to even take a Sam Darnold. He liked Sam Darnold. He liked what he saw in Sam Darnold. So when he comes to New York, certainly he doesn't have ownership of Sam Darnold. Uh, and, and if it doesn't work out, no one's going to hold him responsible for it. But, but he said he, he liked on their analysis, although it was a clinical one, they never met with him, never worked him out. He, they liked what they saw in Sam Arnold. Now, will that change in the, in the crucible of what is the NFL right now? That's for Joe, you know, Joe to decide over the next couple months. And, and, and is it indeed, do they make a change? Do they keep Sam Darnold, make a change at coaching? Or do they stay with the entire package, think that this we're going to get better people around them, and yes, we're going to evolve into a better team? Right. A lot of questions ahead. Well, Brian, I can't thank you enough. The book is called The Q Factor, The Elusive Search for the uh, Next Great NFL Quarterback. I think Jet fans should read this because it, it, it's happening right now for them. I mean, they're living it with Sam Darnold and some of his other peers from that draft class. Brian, can't thank you enough. Thanks for spending some time with us. Sounds good. Thank you. And welcome to the third quarter. It's mailbag time, and we're not going to bury the lead here. We're going to start off with a question from at Thomas W. Lauer, and it's the question that is on the minds of every Jets fan. Do you think Adam Gase will be fired if the Jets get blown out on Thursday night against Denver? Well, that would be four blowouts in a row, and I don't think it would be a strong possibility. I I do think it would be on the table for sure. But my sense is that Christopher Johnson will give him a little more time to see what he can do when some of these injured players start coming back on offense in week five. Also knowing in the back of his mind that Gase turned it around last year when they were one and seven. So I think it would probably be 65-35 that nothing happens with that small possibility that maybe something does. But I just think they're going to want to be a little bit more patient. So I hope that answers the question. Uh, then again, who knows? These are the Jets. and They are liable to do anything. But next one from at Cash 48 And this is a really good question. It's actually informative. The offensive line was so bad that the Jets pretty much replaced last year's group. Yet, Kelvin Beecham starting for 2-1 Arizona. Brian Winters starting for 3-0 Buffalo. Kaliche Ostenley starting for the 2-0 Chiefs before Monday night. And Brandon Shell starting for 3-0 Seattle. Maybe it's Gase and not talent. Maybe, Cash, you're right. I mean, these guys individually are not great talents, but I think they've landed in good spots, in good systems where their talents are being used correctly, and they're helping. And they were not helping on the Jets, and so I do think you raise an excellent point. Next one from at Garen 52 I know he has a six-year deal, but is Joe Douglas in any jeopardy of being let go as well? He has to bear some brunt of the responsibility for this roster, doesn't he? Uh, yes, it was a six-year deal. He has no chance of being let go. This is, going, this is Joe Douglas's organization. The Jets are not going to make that move, nor should they. I mean, he's had only one offseason. Uh, a question from at T underscore Delgado 24. The defense has largely the same players 
in coaches as last year, so why are they playing so much worse? And you're right, it is largely the same cast of characters with one noticeable difference. They do not have Jamal Adams anymore. That is a factor. Uh, also, another factor, they've played three good quarterbacks so far. Last year, when they went on that run, they did not face quality competition. In a sense, it was fool's gold, even though we knew at the time it was a bit deceiving, but they got fat last year on some inferior competition. And one factor that no one's talked about, I think Greg Williams' message kind of wears off the second year. You know, the first year he's he's fiery and direct and, you know, stirs things up. And if you look at his track record, things tend to decline in the second year. Keep an eye on that. Next one from at NYC. Will Gase ever give up the play-calling duties over the next few weeks? I do not see that happening at all. You know, look, this guy was hired because of his play-calling ability. If you're going to take that away from him, you might as well just fire him. Just fire him. He can't be in the building and not running the offense. I mean, you can't go to Dowell Loggins because he's basically a Gase puppet. I suppose you could go to Jim Bob Cooter. He was the uh, Detroit OC for four years. Really, only one of the four was decent. Uh, I'm not sure that would change things. I'm just saying that if Gase is in the building, he should be calling the plays. If you if you're that down on him, just get rid of him completely. Next one from Matt Romano. Matt Romano, 19, uh, always a contributor to this segment. If Joe Flacco were healthy, do you think there'd be a chance he they would bench Sam? Well, kind of a hypothetical because he hasn't been healthy. And by the way, I do not think he's going to dress on Thursday night, which would be four straight games. I can tell you this, though. I I think one of the reasons why Joe came here is I think he saw this as an opportunity that if things went bad with Darnold, that he would have an opportunity to get another shot at starting, to increase his value and to go back into the free agent market next year. Let me be clear. I don't think the Jets are even thinking of that right now. It would have to get extremely bad to go to Joe Flacco, who basically played poorly last year for Denver. So, but I do know that was in in Flacco's thought process when picking the Jets. So for what it's worth. Next, at uh, Reichert, 1965, just curious about Joe Douglas's thoughts uh, on the, what's going on. Has he made any comments since the season started? No, he has not. Uh, by league rule, the general managers are only required to talk at the midseason mark, and we're not there yet, obviously. You know, you certainly would want to hear from Joe Douglas, but I don't think he's going to do anything more than the bare minimum, which is unfortunate because I think the fan base deserves to hear from their GM. At Nick Ginsburg, Rich, is this the worst Jets team you've ever seen? No, Nick. How quickly we forget. Let's go back to last year. In that three games without Sam Darnold, the Jets only scored 23 points total. I mean, in those games, they actually had trouble crossing midfield with the immortal Luke Falk as quarterback. So as bad as this is now, I actually think it was worse during that stretch. They were utterly helpless. At least the Jets are moving the ball a little bit right now. Uh, We have one from at BuddyBoy4. As a reporter with access, do you ever observe Gase inspiring or coaching up players, or is he aloof and disconnected? 
That is a really, really good question, you know, because we do have that access in training camp, and I do observe him on the practice field. And yes, I do see him talking individually to players, mostly the quarterbacks, occasionally some wide receivers. I saw him this summer have a have a pretty long conversation with Marcus May off the side of the practice field. He really likes May. Uh, he really likes Frank Gore. So I think he talks to the a few guys on the team he feels comfortable with, but I do not see him going around patting behinds, firing up guys, and doing that sort of thing. I mean, that's like a Herm Edwards thing or uh, you know, walking around, or even Rex Ryan would do that. He would hop around and try to fire up guys in different position groups. I do not see that from Gase. And he only really speaks to the team at the end when they gather up at the end of practice. I don't hear what he's saying. I do not think it's fiery stuff. From what players tell me, he is not the giver of the rah-rah speech. That usually goes to Greg Williams. Even Joe Vitt at times has given that speech to the team. So in, in, in summary, yeah, he does do some individual conversations. I just don't think he's a group kind of guy to deliver that kind of speech. That is the end of the third quarter. And we'll wrap it up with a little discussion about Thursday night's game. The Jets are hosting the Broncos. And, uh, you know, whenever I see the Broncos, I think of, and you're not going to like this, so I apologize, but I think of January 17th, 1999, AFC Championship game on a windy day at Mile High Stadium. Uh, For you older Jet fans out there, I know this is a painful memory. Uh, you know, for me too, I have a distinct, very vivid, vivid recollection when the Jets were up 10 nothing in the third quarter. I turned to my Daily News colleague, Gary Myers, and I said, and I quote, I don't believe it. The Jets are going to the Super Bowl. So blame me. Maybe I jinxed it. And we know what happened. You know, Denver ended up scoring 23 some odd unanswered points and wins that game going away. Just a crushing, crushing loss. And I will never forget outside the locker room after that game, I went out to the team bus to see if I could grab some players. And I looked in the team bus and I saw Bill Parcell sitting in the front row by himself. He looked catatonic. I mean, you could just tell he, he, he was just, the emotion was drained right out of him. It was just staring blankly at the stat sheet And, you know, didn't know it at the time, but that turned out to be his last shot at ever going back to a Super Bowl. His last good shot, it would have been the third team he had taken to a Super Bowl. It would have been incredible. And so when I think of Denver, I think of that. Uh, Certainly the stakes will be a lot different on Thursday night. The Broncos are winless, just like the Jets. You think the Jets have injuries? The Broncos are without Von Miller, Cortland Sutton. Jarrell Casey, all out for the season with injuries. Their starting quarterback, Drew Locke, he's out for a while longer. So they're going to be starting either Jeff Driscoll or Blake Bortles, who they just picked up off the street. They're on a short week. They have to travel across the country, and yet they're still favored by a field goal over the Jets. So that should tell you what Las Vegas thinks of the Jets right now. Uh, It's a Thursday night game. What I think of Thursday nights at MetLife, I can't help it. I'm sorry. I think of the butt fumble in 2012. It happened on a Thursday night, Thanksgiving. And this just has the feel 
and I feel this in my gut, this one on Thursday night just has the feeling that something but fumbleish is going to happen. Something weird that will just leave an indelible memory on this season and perhaps will spur change. When the butt fumble happened, it spurred change that offseason. Big changes. Mike Tannenbaum fired. They bring in John Itzik. It really sent the organization into a tailspin from which they have not recovered. So on Thursday night, look, I hope it doesn't happen. I just have a weird feeling. Thursday nights at MetLife, you just never know. Uh, I want to thank our special guest this week, Brian Billick, for stopping by and talking about his book, The Q Factor. Thanks, as always, to my producer, Jeff Scopin. Thank you for listening. Please rate us. Please subscribe to Flight Deck. You can get us on any of the ESPN platforms, also on Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And enjoy the game on Thursday night. If you can, try. We'll see what happens. And we'll see you next week on Flight Deck.